Today's time of teaching comes from Psalm 32, a psalm about the great difference between one who takes their sin to the Lord to confess it and one who deceives himself. Let's read it together, then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The summary of the whole thing is in verses 1 and 2 in this psalm. And oftentimes the psalms, the Proverbs do this as well, they will say something very plainly and then say it with imagery after that. Uh, One of the ways you can confirm that what you're seeing in the psalms is really there as well in the nearby verses, does it say it plainly? And that does happen here. In verses 1 and 2, we just get a clear statement of what David is trying to say here. He says, the one whose transgression is forgiven, blessed is that man, right? The one against whom the Lord counts, no iniquity. And then he says, interestingly, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he sets the two against each other. You've got someone who is confessing their sin to the Lord and finding forgiveness on one hand. And that person has no deceit, which means the person that is not bringing their sins to the Lord is either deceiving themselves or intentionally deceiving everyone else. Now, the reason he can say that is because 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So to go before God and say, I didn't do that. To go before God and say, I don't sin anymore. To go before God and say, I I don't need to bring things to you. That thing was not a big deal. That is to deceive yourselves and woe to that person. We'll see why later. But blessed is the one that brings their sin to the Lord and finds forgiveness. So that's the difference. That's the point in the psalm, the difference between those two people. Now in verses three through five, David's going to outline his own experience dealing with a personal sin in his life. And then in verses six through nine, he's going to teach us and instruct us as a counselor based on that experience that he had. And you've had people do this in your lives, right? Here's what happened to me. 
Don't do that. Do this instead, right? That's what David's going to do here. Here's what happened to me, he says. So he has some personal sin in his life. We don't know what it was. Other Psalms, like Psalm 51, we know what the sin was that he was bringing to God. We don't know what it was here. He'd done something. And because of this sin, the Lord struck him with sickness, as was common in Old Testament Israel. Part of the covenant God had made with his people was, when you sin against me, I will discipline you in many ways. One of those ways is through sickness. And so an Israelite had the blessing of knowing if they had come down with illness, well, there was a good chance God was getting their attention and highlighting sin in their lives. Now, we don't have that benefit today, but the benefits we do have mean that we will wind up saying many of the same things David says here. He says, when I kept silence, this is verse three, right? I didn't talk about my sin. I did something against the Lord. didn't say anything about it. Just when I did that, He says, my bones wasted away. He says, I groaned all day long. He felt the hand of the Lord heavy upon him 24-7. And he was out of strength. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In his case, the Lord struck him with sickness. Now, as I said a minute ago, Christians don't have that particular benefit in our covenant. Our benefits are better. We don't have that particular one. So if you're sick, you don't necessarily know that the Lord is getting your attention over anything. You may have just contracted something, and that's kind of the way that it goes sometimes. Instead, the Lord gets our attention over the sin in our lives through a few different ways. The New Testament says in one place, do not grieve the Spirit, right? Uh, When we sin against God, it can make the spirit dwelling in us sad, grieved. Now, a Christian has the spirit of the Lord living inside him or her. And can you imagine what it would feel like to have a spirit in you that was grieving? Well, that's what you get when you are a Christian, when you walk with the Lord, and yet you have ceased to walk in his ways, when you're walking in sin, that spirit in you is like a grieving widow dressed in black at the funeral inside you. And you should be able to tell the difference. Now, if you're able to walk around and not constantly be bothered by that grieving spirit of the Lord within you, even though you're walking in sin, even though you're fresh, freshly in sin, like just recently sinned against the Lord or continually walking in it and doing nothing about it. And you're able to attend a church service and sing praises to the Lord and listen to preaching. And you're able to kind of walk around town as a, as a member of a church and a professing Christian and deceiving everyone. Now, the only way you can do that and not just be bothered to pieces by that grieving spirit in you is to shut his voice out of your life and just not listen to it, right? If you lived with a person who just nagged and nagged and nagged all the time, the only way you could not let it get to you is to just shut their voice out, right? Well, the same with the grieving spirit of the Lord inside of you. You have to shut his voice out entirely to continue on without being bothered by it. And if you've done that, don't be surprised if Sunday worship isn't moving to you. 
don't be surprised if the preaching of the Word of God is not moving to you. Don't be surprised if you can open your copy of God's Word, read it, and it's not moving to you. And you're saying to yourself, well, there's no power in here anymore. Is there even anything left for me in this book? Is there anything worthwhile at church for me? Why am I not experiencing much of God's ways as I read them and as I seek them? The answer is that you have shut out the voice of God in your life. If you would listen to it, you would hear a weeping within you. If you would listen to it, you would understand something that grieved spirit that is in you. That's one way the Lord pulls us out of our sins with the spirit that lives in us and grieves. Another way is through the discipline of the church. The Lord teaches in the book of Matthew and some other places as well uh, that Christians in a healthy church are to confront each other over sin. You see your brother in sin or they sin against you, you are to go to them and tell them and plead with them to come back. And if they refuse to, the whole church is to to rally together and try to pull them back. That's one way that the Lord brings us back. He also does so through the conviction of his word. Now, when he does any of these things, you might feel the same way that David felt, and you might say the same things. My bones are wasted away. I'm groaning all the time, right? My strength is dried up as by the heat of summer. Why? Because God's spirit is grieving inside of you. And so here's what he did in verse five. He acknowledged his sin to God. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover it. I said, I'm going to confess it to him. And he finds that God forgave him. Now notice in the second line there, he says, "I I didn't cover my iniquity, right? I didn't bring it to him and say, God, I don't want to show you all of this, but I'll just give you a little hint that, hey, I I had a thing. I did a thing, Lord. He doesn't do that, no. When a patient comes to a doctor with a wound, the patient doesn't hide the wound. The patient doesn't say, oh, this this wound in my leg, it's it's shameful, it's gross. I don't want to, let me just tell you a little bit about it Maybe you can give me a little advice and help me to deal with it myself. No, no. A patient just lays the wound open and says, here it is. Here's all of it. Will you help? And Christian, when you bring your sin to God, you must do the same thing. Lay the whole thing before him. Don't tell him half of it. Don't tell him three quarters. Tell him the whole thing. If this is repeated in your life and you've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 50 years, tell him. If you've been lying to someone about it, tell the Lord about it. Just lay the whole wound before him. And then because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you, you can say what David says here and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you want to be healed of your wound, you must show the wound to the doctor. That's David's experience, right? He was struck down. He brought his sin to God and God forgave him. Now in verses six through nine, he offers instruction to us based on that. This is the sage saying, here's what happened to me and here's what you should do because of it. Verse six He says, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Because of these things, the godly, the people who trust the Lord, 
they should offer these prayers of confession to him while they still can, he says. Do you see that? Offer prayer in a time while you may be found. Like now that you can, you won't, in other words, you won't always be able to offer these prayers to the Lord. You won't always be able to come to him and confess sin. You can do that right now. You can hit pause on this and bring your sin to the Lord right now. But there will come a day when you won't be able to do that. And that day is going to come like a rush of great waters as if there were a great dam in Greenwood and it burst and the water just rushed and swept all of us away. This day will come. And as that day comes, no one will be able to offer prayers of confession anymore. The Lord will say, I have heard them all. I have brought everyone into my kingdom that I am going to bring. And the time of judgment is here the dam will burst. But the second half of the verse says, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. The one who brings us into the Lord, when that day of judgment bursts forth, the waters will not reach him. No, we will be taken to a high and lofty place, safe from the judgment where the Lord has prepared a feast for us. As verse seven says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. There we will sit, there we will stand, there we will dance at the feast of the Lord, surrounded by the shouts of the delivered and the redeemed. In that day, this is true for those of us that have brought our sins to the Lord and confess our sins to the Lord. Verses eight and nine say a similar thing, but with a different image. This is the image of a horse being disciplined by a bit and bridle. He says, I'll instruct you. I'll teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. And here's his counsel. Be not like the horse or mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. If you don't ride horses, you may not know this. I don't ride horses much, and I didn't know it. Uh, The bit that is in a horse's mouth is not used to steer the horse. In other words, you don't tell the horse which way to go by pulling on one end of the reins or on the other the way that you might with a steering wheel. That's not what you're to do. Actually, that bit is deep back into the horse's mouth, and it's right up against some very tender cartilage between the horse's back teeth. And if you pull on that bridle, if you pull on that bit, it's very painful for the horse. It's painful on purpose. It's a disciplinary measure for the horse. To pull on it is to say, hey, you are, you are not listening to me. You actually steer a horse by laying one end of the bridle uh, on the neck of the horse. And that is only if the horse is not listening to the instructions you're giving with your feet. You're actually supposed to steer the thing with your feet and point it the way that it's supposed to go. And if it doesn't listen to you, then you lay one side of the bridle on the neck of the horse to remind it, hey, this bridle is here. If you don't listen to me, it's going to hurt. And then if it doesn't listen, yank back on it and it hurts the horse. It's a disciplinary measure for the sake of the horse. A stubborn horse, you have to do that to a lot. Now, a meek horse, you can just ride and steer. If you can put your hands up in the air and just steer the thing with your feet, you know, it's, it's great. A horse that will listen to you, but not a stubborn horse, no. 
And David says, don't be that stubborn horse. When the Lord pulls on the bridle, it hurts. When he yanks that bit into your mouth, it hurts. He says, I groaned all day long with what the Lord did to me. And that was just a taste of the judgment that is coming. Christian, when you feel those reins lay upon your neck, listen to the voice of the Lord. Do not shut out the Spirit of God, but listen to its voice. When the Spirit begins to grieve in you like a new widow because of the sin that you have done, listen to its voice and don't harden your heart against it. Do not be that stubborn horse. He gives another summary in the closing in verses 10 and 11. The sorrows of the wicked are many, but the one that trusts in the Lord, steadfast love surrounds him. And he just says, those of you that are righteous, those of you that have brought sin to the Lord and found forgiveness, oh, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. What joy it is, my friends, who know what it means to sin before God who know what it means to be a stranger and an alien and an outcast before God, to go before him and know that you have no business in his presence, but to receive his forgiveness. That is joy there, friends. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice because forgiveness is available to you. So there's the great contrast, right? The people of God confess their sins to the Lord. They find forgiveness now, and they find that in the coming judgment, they are not swept away, but the judgment goes over them like water over a rock. The stubborn, though, sit in silence over their sin. They will not bring it to the Lord. They cover it. They hide it. This can lead to a miserable conscience now or a seared conscience that refuses to listen to the Lord's voice at all. And if you do not turn from it, it leads to judgment later. First John says very similar things. As I read before, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you may be asking, now, wait a minute, does this mean that I need to remember every single sin I've ever committed every Sunday that we have confession of sin? And if I forget one that I'm not a Christian, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that to be a Christian is not to engage in hiding your sins from God. We're talking about the sins you know about, the sins that you are aware of, the sins that you haven't deceived yourself into thinking aren't a big deal. And if you ask them, the Lord will show them to you. So if you're just uncertain, if this whole thing leads you into a state of uncertainty, just simply ask the Lord to reveal your sin to you. And if he does, bring it right before him. Do whatever you need to do to make it right. Bring it before him. Plead the merit of the blood of Jesus. I want to close with just explaining why we could hope that the Lord would forgive us. It's very simple. He sent his son Jesus to seek and save the lost. His heart, his desire is to bring those who are far from him near to him. He has made a way for that through the blood of his son, Jesus, that was shed for us. 
Now, that's something we say a lot in church, and what it means is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died willingly on a Roman cross, just gave himself up to death, when he could have just struck down everyone around him. He gave himself up and said, offered that death, that blood, as a payment for our sins. If we would confess our sins to him, turn from our sin, trust in Jesus by faith, we would find forgiveness there. So the instruction is the same as it is on every page of scripture. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus.